Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 328, Basic Copyright for Writers and Designers. Presented by Eric Whalen. Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon. Uh, my name is Eric Whalen, and you're here with the basic copyright and related issues for writing and game designers. Um, I am Eric Whalen. I'm an intellectual property and contracts attorney who works with independent game designers, um, independent publishers, and independent artists. And uh, I'm we're going to do it a little uh, as we go this morning because I was expecting uh, a uh, co-panelists who didn't show up yet, and uh, if anyone has any questions on copyrights, I greatly welcome them. <laughs> uh, so, to give a, a brief coverage of copyright as a concept, if you don't know that, it is the idea that uh, things that you create are granted some uh, protection from the moment that you create them, which you as the artist or author are exclusively allowed to control. Um, so those basics, if you got that, you know what copyrights are. I've done my job. Uh, <laughs> question, what is the most common mistake you see people, uh, see from people working on first time projects? Um, Yes, this is an excellent one, which is that copy, uh, copyrights can only be transferred through written documents signed by the parties. Um, the big thing I see is when someone uh, does a commission for art, for their various project, for their D&D character, for their, for their first time thing, they do that commission deviant art style where they send the 60 bucks by PayPal and get the art back and everyone walks away happy. Uh, from a lawyer perspective, that makes me cringe because the moment you try to send that to a publisher who knows what they're doing or you, you try to use it for a movie, um, or, or some other giant professional venture, someone down the chain is going to ask, okay, well, did you do this art yourself? No? Where's the papers that secure this right? And you're going to have to track down some, you know, 14 to 25-year-old who only has a deviant account, deviant art account, and try to ask them, you know, where are you? The deal has stopped until I've tracked you down and gotten these rights. Or you'll have to find another artist, which it, which happens a lot 
as well. So maybe if you don't keep your prototype art into the final project, but you might find a piece that you do like. So that's the biggest thing I see. Um, okay, Joe Sixpack, second, a standard anthology contract I says that publisher must defend the copyright internationally. What does that look like in the games and how often does it come up? So let me break that up into a few things. Um, the, so when it comes to uh, intellectual property rights, there are four of them. There are patents, there are trade secrets, there are copyrights, and there are uh, trademarks. And um, for, for, the, for three of those, the author is the uh, person who holds the right is required to defend them uh, quite actively. The one that you do not have to defend in order to maintain is copyright, which is something I know Nintendo often misstates in their PR stuff. Um, just thinking in the video game realm of things. Uh, so publishers do not have to defend the copyright in order to keep it working. But uh, yes, if they want to defend it, they also have to do it internationally by looking around and uh, submitting the paperwork and going through the bureaucracy of whichever countries they're dealing with internationally. Uh, how often does that come up in games? I'd have to ask a publisher. Um, I'm also not, so in my practice of law, I'm usually the one writing the contracts to set up these deals well. I'm not the lawyer who goes and hunts down the people who violate my client's rights on things. Um, so sort of it was able to answer that question. Uh, what can and cannot be copywritten? Uh, you can copyright unique expressions in a, um, what do you call it? A form, in a, um, not a physical form, but in a, but in a realized form, in a, there was actually expression. It wasn't just an idea in your head. So for game ideas that you have for, let's say, a pitch meeting, you haven't made any of the art, you haven't written any of the rules, um, you just have an idea about uh, Cthulhu space kittens who team up and run a tea, you know, tea and game store. Uh, that isn't copyrightable, but the moment you start putting those thoughts to paper, that's when they're going to start gaining protections. There are limits in some directions on that. For instance, uh, if what you if there's only one way to really do what you're trying to do and what you're expressing, it isn't unique. And uh, that allows things like tropes and common sentences to be uh, invalid for copyright purposes. But um, yes, that's, that is a good question that I, I would say explore with a lawyer if you think that your thing does not um, easily go in to one of those categories. Uh, let's see, 
Question, is it important to buy copyright from an artist versus right to republish in indefinitely? Um, so there's an artist panel that happened on Friday with, um, what is it? Uh, Jack Para, Lizanne, and uh, Mangold. I forget some of their first names or last names in that case. I want to redirect you to that panel because uh, what they say is mostly true and far more accurate and helpful than what I can sort of give you completely off the cuff. <laughs> uh, okay. Any guidelines on quoting song lyrics in a game book? Um, not off the top of my head. I, if, if you, I, I'll provide an email address at the end of this panel and I can look up the answer for you and give you sort of a, a more concrete, actionable piece of advice. But uh, be careful. I wouldn't make your entire game based on explicit song lyrics um, without double checking first. There we go. That's how I'm going to end that sentence. Hal Mangold, you're correct on that. Um, Let's see, and a game RPG copyright needs to be defended against what song? Um, so with a with an RPG game copyright, first I suppose you need to know that you if you're building on an existing system, you want to make sure that they've licensed the system out to be hacked and used as commercial products for you know, that other people create at the root of things like Powered by the Apocalypse, assuming that it didn't have an open license, or I'm not sure if it does. Stay tuned, read the rule. The biggest advice for dealing with anything law is um, read as many of the rules that are given. Many people will be putting what licenses they operate under um, somewhere where you can read them and I know that it's nice when we are, as consumers, just scrolling through the terms of agreement for websites and software. But when you want to do a creative endeavor where you're using someone else's previous work, now is the time to read the word. Uh, so for what you're defending against with the copyright, RPG game copyright, Make sure that you're, you have rights to all the pictures and art you want to use. Make sure that you have the rights to any rules that you are borrowing uh, wholesale. If you're inspired by it, uh, that gets a little tricky, whether it's sort of you're transforming it. And it's, it's not fair use, not that type of transformative, but there are you want to make it different enough that you can repackage it as your own. Uh, Rules can't themselves. I was gonna say I was gonna say rules themselves cannot be copyrighted, but I am enough in that brain space of doing this on air that I don't want to say that is legal advice uh, without double checking. Um, I know that the format in rule books can be copywritten because, like the marginalia, that art. Um, so 
Mopop. Wait a sec. Are you Mopoplar? Are you in Pasadena? Are we just okay? I'm gonna. I'm. If you say yes in the comments, I'm gonna reach out to you. I've. I've owed you a post-pandemic social visit. Getting that on the schedule for a while now. Apologies. <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the Fiverr platform? Yes, I am. They say that new content purchased for commercial use provides transfer of copyright from artist to buyer. Is that true? Do use of the platform meet the signed document for transfer requirements in the United States? I am aware of Fiverr. I have no idea. The reason why the law was created where you needed um, something written on paper transferring these rules is that back in the, back in the 20th century, uh, Hollywood creative executives would do a lot of fast and loose things without any type of documentation trail. And it led to a lot of litigation and settlements. And so we decided to formalize in many, in many places in the United States that uh, something was required to sort of keep that in check. Whether Fiverr qualifies, I'd have to look at the panel. I could, um, I'd have to look at the platform. I'd have to see what they go through. I can find the answer. I do not have it prepared in my spell book today. Uh, game mechanics cannot be copy. Uh, let's see. Game mechanics, they... So trademark is a different beast. Trademark is you're saying that these words uh, identify my product and identify me as the person who sells it. I would be, I can't endorse that sort of comment um, because I would need to think about that a little harder. Uh, a lot of the art of being a lawyer is knowing where the answers are not having them, you know, instant cast. Uh, or some of the easiest ways for a person uh, can protect their work while in development. I see a lot of people. So that first question, I haven't read the rest of it, but lawyers from other industries, there aren't many lawyers who exclusively do things in the board game industry, will tell you to do an NDA, a non-disclosure contract. Um, or agreement. Uh, that's not what gets done often in the board game industry, unless you are a major publisher who owns, you know, who has enough capital and resources to take over a third of Gen Con, then you may see it. But otherwise, we're pretty open with it. Here at Metatopia, especially, we rely on a certain level of um, honesty and candor among people where it, the, the environment doesn't require that. Uh, but if you're concerned, it's, it's a risk tolerance sort of thing. Um, if you are concerned, there are tools. You can't easily copyright things. You can copyright the individual pieces. Uh, otherwise, it sort of goes into trade secret land, which is not this panel. Um, Okay, so we see a lot of people choose not to heavy uh, to do heavy playtesting or get nervous about even talking about their work publicly before it is available, but can be greatly... Um, so is it really as risky as people believe? 
No, it should. I've seen, I know these people. I've, I've been to enough conventions. I've been to enough Metatopias where I have seen these people. And the answer is that ideas are cheap and everyone has 10 pet ideas floating around. I think that it takes a lot of passion and a lot of uh, consistency to get your game design realized in a form where it can be protected. And the idea that someone else has the same amount of passion and dedication to your specific idea that you've come up with is far less likely than I believe people get into their heads, if that makes sense. But uh, if you see someone who's licking their lips waiting to take your thing, I would, uh, I'd write their name down and I'd watch them and I think things could be done to keep them in check, but you're not, it's not as big of a problem as people might be imagining. Uh, question, if I wanted a copy to copyright the prototype of my card game, what type of copyright should I apply for? Oh, this is excellent. So, at the beginning of the panel, I, I said that from the moment you create something, you do get a copyright. That is true. Now, enforcing that copyright in court requires you to, that is when you are required to submit a copy of the thing that you're trying to copyright to the Congressional Library uh, for about $60 of registration, $65 plus whatever lawyer you might be having to file that for you. You can do it yourself, but managing it and some of the paperwork makes it harder than most people want to deal with. Um, and uh, the reason that you register that, especially since 2018, 2019, there was a Supreme Court case that uh, clarified the rules, is before you bring someone to court and litigation for the purposes of defending a copyright, you need to have your work in submitted for registration. Um, so you'll want to do it by then. Before that, you don't need to formally register the copyright. I'll give you good news. Since 1986-ish, when the international treaties started, um, I don't know, getting enforced, uh, they made that easier on people. For your prototype, though, you'd have limited copyrights in your prototyped cards. So that's protected. If someone had uh, Xerox copies of your prototype card game, you could still protect it. And no, I would not register that before you were done. Uh, so copyright for the cards versus art versus rules. Um, yeah, don't don't submit anything until you're done. And then when you are done, I still wouldn't submit something unless you come up with a, I mean, unless you find a problem. You have time for the most part. I've seen in some circuits that they... And and I and don't I don't even know about other countries if you need to have things registered before uh, infringement counts and can actually be litigated over. Uh, generally, you don't need to have it registered before that happens. So 
I, I would be calm right now with where you probably are, Timothy. Uh, but good question. Good questions to everyone. Um, is there a website or other resource to find common contracts or templates to hire artist or designer? Uh, yes, you can find, there are a lot of good board gaming um, resources. I've seen things, so in my, since I am practicing in, since I try to practice primarily in the board game industry because I like clients who come from there, I go to a lot of these free resources to make sure that I'm doing one better. It's uh, research on the competition, which is the free market of forms. My least favorite ones are places like LegalZoom, where it's not because it's good competition, it's quite the opposite. I love when people can find the answers for themselves. Um, why LegalZoom is bad is because not only is it $100 to get access to their forms, but often the forms are not fit for what you are trying to do as board game analog game designers. You have to start with something that's very broadly written and try to tailor it down. And every time you try to homebrew someone else's rules, you may be getting away from the effectiveness that the original system was created for. Uh, contracts work a lot like role-playing games, surprisingly, but that's that may be a different panel uh, or video. Um, my good resources, I would check. Um, there's this ring of there's this website called nolo.com, n-o-l-o.com, and you can look up a lot of great words and broad terms from them for free for your state. Wonderful place to start when. Uh, when you know, so uh, when it comes to trying to do things for yourself in law, it first you have to sort of know how to ask your question. I know that you're good at asking questions like these in the chat. I have two monitors. If I'm gesturing or looking over in this direction, I promise it's it's at you. Um, the first thing you need to learn how to do is how to ask the question. And then once you know how to ask the question and identify things, that's when you can search the answers out. Uh, most of law school and the practice of becoming certified in law is learning how to ask the questions and how to find the right answers within the resources. I think I can get you in more trouble than I can help you giving you uh, sources of of uh, contracts and templates. Well, yes, I can get you in a lot of trouble with this answer. So I will try to off the cuff, come up with an answer that won't get you into trouble. Um, I would check with, uh, I was about to say board game geek forums, but no, 60% uh, of what I read there I use to or I used in order to laugh about the sad days under the Trump administration. I just look at there and go, oh, sheesh. Um, I would, hmm, I would check out, uh, in, in, the post, in the post panel discussion on the Discord, I will, in the next hour, set, submit a bunch of links to, um, that I would recommend. I know that Stonemeyer Games has done one or two blog posts that were good. 
Uh, James Mays did probably did some good things. I'm going through his stuff now. Uh, the stuff exists, but I'd be cautious, especially because even if you do find a template, a lot of these times these contracts are meant to crystallize a specific deal between two parties, unless you're really sure that you're doing the exact same deal. Uh, I give you those words of caution. You can also ask other game designers and publishers. Uh, I, to much to my chagrin, I heard on the other panels that have happened during Metatopia that everyone's sharing their templates and forms. So uh, I'm sure if you eventually find one of my clients, they'd be happy to share, and I'd be sad not to make your acquaintance. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, should you get an official copyright for a game before pitching to a publisher? No. Easy question. <laughs> Save your 60 bucks. Um, or wait till the game is signed to make your publisher registered for you. That's a secret big brain tip. Um, uh, rules can't be copyrighted as saying people often say then that may be that is probably the right one i usually know the answer very well but uh i you know one person in front of a camera bloop, that fell out of the brain sometime before the live button mo yeah you're up the road i know where you are i will we will talk at, <laughs> we will talk sooner rather than later at least it won't be another year i promise um yeah, Colin, I'm you know, I'm I'm I would say anyone else in chat, I would uh if that's what people are saying. Oh, that's so dangerous because the thing is when I I am a lawyer and it's lawyers aren't supposed to give advice at dinner parties or really anyone who isn't on their uh who doesn't have a letter of engagement with them because the things I'm saying now um could be relied upon and i did not start the panel by saying that none of this constitutes as legal advice that you should not rely on without talking to an attorney before you know staking hundreds and thousands of dollars upon the uh, veracity of this information i'll say that now so that everything 10 30 and on is clearly prefaced by it. um but in a 1029 world go with what colin's saying uh, marketing usually overrules NDA concerns. So I'd be interested in knowing more about that, Zofra, because unless your marketing plan in the contract says that, oh, the artist or the original game designer is not allowed to talk about this before the publisher starts marketing, uh, they could just keep talking about that. And then if you do put in parts in your, in the, if the part publisher does put parts of the contract that say, don't talk about this before certain, before our marketing people have a chance, then you just have a sneaky NDA, which is fine to do. I mean, yes, we think that NDAs are kind of evil among the, game design people that I talk with, but uh, you can sneak in a lot of the same things by just saying the things you want to be crystallized in that deal without putting it as the header of the page. 
which is why you need to read every contract carefully. <laughs> um, but that is not copyright related. We're slowly going on into law, being dealing with the law 101 as a game designer and going back to my yesterday contracts panel. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, Tinmuth. Once your game is fully complete, if you are going to submit it to register the copyright, there seems to be six options. Literary work, performing arts, visual arts, other digital content, motion pictures, and photographs. Which would a card game or board game be? You are going to be in visual arts. I think that makes the most sense. Um... I would be doing, you know, if if I were asked this question by a client, I would spend at least an hour double checking my work on that. But if you're at, here in a panel setting, I would say when you do do your due diligence, checking those six options, um, my my money would go on visual arts and ask. Ask fellow professionals in the space what they did, because they certainly did it, or they will tell you that you don't need to worry about registering it because it's never been a problem for them. Um, it's what type of protections you formally register for has a lot to do with your risk aversion as a creator. <laughs> I'll go back to that answer. Um, Let's see, uh, anything support, so sort of, uh, your Canada stuff. Yes, I was talking um, yesterday a little bit about Canadian law and thinking about that headspace. A lot of times you're gonna see the same logic and rules for game, for game industry stuff between the United States and Canadian law because a lot of the contract law was formed, like the basis of it was formed pre-United States, and it's been modified in how certain things last and deal with, but you're gonna find a lot of the same logic rhymes. And hypothetically, and, and I, well, theoretically, copyright should be acting very similar across countries except for um, maybe timing requirements, filing requirements, but the the logic the logic underpinning the, the most common systems are going to be pretty analogous. It's going to be similar to how you can go to the uh, DM guild, pick up a third party supplement and understand what they're talking about, but little things may have changed. Um, as sort of an RPG analogy. Um, okay. Oh, hey, Emery. Thanks for helping me on this. Um, how can a game designer become more literate with legal terms that will apply to them? Um, uh, okay. And without giving a glib reply, like read the rules, because that would require. Uh, so everything on this side is board games and, you know, role-playing games. Everything on this side is uh, law stuff. 
I don't recommend reading all of this stuff in order to understand how to do all of this stuff. Um, what I will say is uh, it's something that really should go on a blog post when I make a blog. <laughs> Shameless self-promotion for content that doesn't exist. Uh, hopefully it'll be supported by Metatopia 2022 because... Uh, you know, at the end of the day, I have a lot of the same uh, troubles with creative endeavors that you, the audience, may have. We're all here under a same mindset, and uh, yes. <laughs> um, any more questions? I'm trying to think. We covered a lot of the points I would have covered if Steve were here anyway which is impressive because we've been guided by uh, tangents and your wonderful questions. So, uh, let's... Well, we... Yeah, if you go to some of the panels that have already happened, you'll hear things about uh, not necessarily needing to purchase copyrights like the whole rights from artists. Uh, I remember that comment and talking about the second use market where you can, um, you can purchase the light, you can license the rights for pieces of art that have already been used in other mediums. Uh, that is nice to do, especially for prototype and beta stuff before you go to a publisher who will potentially create finalized artwork. Um, that's a great option. Or if you need generic pieces, I'll echo that advice that you can get those, you can license those rights much more cheaply. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, questions have come up. How has copyright changed since the pandemic? Um, it has in many ways that we in this community do not have to deal with. For lawyers, it has been a barrel of monkeys and fun. I forget what that metaphor is because once again, under the great eye of the camera, um, the big thing that has changed is that a lot of times previously people would have to physically send things to the copyright office in order to get their registration. The Copyright Office is not taking physical uh, deposits at the moment because of fear of COVID and probably the lack of employees who are assigned to pick all of that stuff up. I think everything is a little easier for the moment because digital copies can be put in or it's all going into a backlog. I'm not sure on the, I'm not sure on the practical, uh, on the, pragmatic rea uh, practical reality of the current situation at the Library of Congress at the moment. Uh, I can only imagine that it is chaos incarnate. Um, but in a way that you don't really notice, so it's that swan's feet under the water type of chaos. Um, otherwise, it, it, it's all still working the same way from your standpoint and uh, it may cause lawyers concern, but that's not in that's that's things that we deal with on our end. Your stuff is still getting protected, and um, from a designer spec standpoint, I can see another way to read that question, which is like, 
oh, are we suddenly now all allowed to share Amazon stream video, Amazon Prime videos with each other on Discord at private Monday and Wednesday night movie nights um, without that being illegal? No, that that's still probably illegal unless the company is saying otherwise. Um, that's outside of this. I'm I'm ruling that as being outside of the scope of this panel, though. Uh, sorry, Virginia, if I didn't uh, get all of what you were going for that. You can ask another question if you had something more specific in mind. Um, uh, putting up games on tabletop. Oh, God. Uh, yeah, table... So Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, I'm just about... So in the space that you sort of see behind me, I'm not going to move my chair because I have no idea what I left out on the floor directly behind my head. Um, I think I cleared it off responsibly, like someone's supposed to do before they do one of these panels. Um, there, I am going to be putting up a VR, you know, my VR rig and uh, going into the depths of cyberspace to explore Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia more specifically having helped a friend out with getting it set up the other time the other week i can say that um what that if you're not getting a publisher's permission to recreate their game in the format what those mod creators are doing in the content workshop is highly illegal and should be policed i don't know it it, it it gets into a toss-up, especially as you get closer to pirating, and that becomes a conversation we can't have in a digitally recorded medium uh, because it starts getting... <laughs> I was going to say because it starts getting into German academic paper, papers on the economic philosophies of whether pirating is bad for games, but also because uh, some of the advice that they contemplate uh runs contrary to my position and responsibility as a lawyer to only advocate for the law and um yes i can give advice to clients that say you don't have to be this strict um and maybe it's beneficial if you aren't that strict it's great marketing for instance but um no that's that's a conversation for another day uh, <laughs> uh fortunately there are only 17 of you so if i if i see more than that uh I'm going to screenshot who is here. So if anyone else watching this in the VODs tries to use this as something to rely on, uh, I will call you out <laughs> to, to mitigate my own uh, liability that I may be incurring. Uh, question, are there any points you would have originally made and haven't gotten to cover? That's an excellent question. Uh, I, I will know the answer to the question of, is there anything I forgot? Uh, the moment I we end the stream, or the moment that I think about ending the stream, because now I'm suddenly thinking that maybe the last um, 17 minutes of this panel should also include my thoughts on work for hire versus independent contracting. Now, that sounds like a lot of contract stuff. It has more to do with copyright, and I'll explain why. With so when you are creating your game, you need other people unless you're all doing it for yourself. If you're bringing in an artist, they will want to be an independent contractor. They will want to uh, still retain the rights to everything they're creating, 
and license you, whether for a specific term or indefinitely, the ability to use their work. Um, that is definitely the model that you will hear artists talk about. And it is, uh, and, and the alternative to that system is the work for hire agreement, which is where you say, I'm going to tell you exactly where you, what you, the artist, need to do. And because I've done all these things and we've explicitly agreed to it, this is a work for hire agreement where, um, you know, that comic where it says the like, the, oh no, I'm moving my chair. Um, <laughs> it's the person who holds the thing and said like, here, I'll plug scum and villainy for a second. The, oh, I made this. And then there's someone on the other side of the panel. See, I didn't move my head that much this time. Goes, they receive it and they go, oh, you made this? I made this. That, that whole uh, comic exchange is sort of how work for hire agreements work, where you make the agreement and the artist, despite putting in the work and the hand, you know, the talent and all that stuff, um, they are not legally treated as the original author. It is though the person hiring them was the person who had also put pen to paper. Um, and that rankles with a lot of the creative feelings that artists understandably have. It has big implications on copyright because copyright exists with the original author or artist. And even though those rights can be transferred or licensed away by the original artist for a person's project, um, Congress threw a little snag into that around 1985-ish um, in the music industry which you may or may not have heard of, but uh, there were a lot of recorded examples of major publishers disenfranchising their artists through uh, sort of an unfair power dynamic to assign over all of their rights indefinitely, etc. And Congress said, we want to eventually see whether we can correct this and give the disenfranchised artist a second bite of the apple. And so they made a, a, uh, a rule that 35 years after a license has happened, the artist can go to court and go, hi, second thoughts, I'd like to dissolve this license or this assignment and um, let's pretend it didn't happen. It's, it's been 35 years, I'd like to be the artist now. And um, so from the perspective of someone creating a game, if you're at that moment where you go, okay, I can either be the sole artist, you know, I can either be the artist or I can allow the artist to be the artist. You have that moment or you should have that moment, especially if you have a, you know, counsel, a, a lawyer present uh, where you go, do I need to, definitely be the person who holds on to these copyrights 35 years plus from now? And am I willing to sit back at the table and negotiate with the original artist 
at that time when I may or may not be wildly successful. And instead of being able to purchase things for them for like an additional two to $300 now, we may be going, um, okay, you know, five or six figures to get extended licensing rights. Uh, if, if you were the house of mouse, you might have mixed thoughts about whether it was all right not to let people work for higher things. Because as Disney has shown, uh, there are, and as Wizards of the Coast has shown, for instance, with a lot of their anthology art books and their works, there is a lot of value at knowing that your successful game gets to keep all of its successful components as in the successful form that you successfully became accustomed to uh, indefinitely. So there is that consideration that makes it less cut and dry. I will say from a personal standpoint that uh, anytime I have done work for a client where we have done a work for hire agreement, we do this weird thing that we try to just tell the artists, you know, not to think too deeply on where we say, okay, it's a work for hire. Um, so, you know, XYZ publisher is the original artist for this art as far as law is concerned. Now in the contract, we are going to allow you the artist to pretend wink, wink that you are the artist. Ha 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 ha. And at the end of the day, it reaches a, a decent answer that allows everyone to be happy and uh, no one's the wiser. But uh, that's, that's something I would have brought up if I had thought about it and while I was observing other panels. Um, I think that's all the questions, but there's still 10 minutes left. I don't know. Um, can plug my stuff uh, uh, and see if a question comes up in the meantime. My name is still Eric Whalen. Um, I'm still an intellectual property and contracts attorney who works with people, you know, independent game, independent game folks like yourselves. Uh, since I don't have a website yet because i'm looking for an artist ironically enough and getting the resources and you know content together it, it, it's a plan um i can primarily be either uh found on the discord or uh at this email address the swaylen at gmail.com it's pretty easy to figure out how i came up with that username it's the and Waylon, and then there's an S in there. Uh, people ask what the S stands for, and on my glib answer is it stands for hope on some planets. Um, and unless you have more questions, I may just suddenly fade out into blackness. You know. Uh, let's see. I'm getting a psychic question of whether I actually want to be taken down. Um, oh, there's a question at the last moment. One second, uh, psychic voice. Um, uh, what sort of topics do you plan on covering for your upcoming blog? Thanks for holding me accountable. Um, let's see. 
a lot of what I've said now, I'm probably going to do my own take on the Contracts 101 panel that happened yesterday, because while that panel was very fun and had a lot of uh, good perspectives from people who practice, but practice in other industries, but are also artists and designers in this one. So it's, it's interesting to see those things. And um, one of the people from uh, White Wizard Games was there to give a publishing perspective. Uh, due to just how the panel sort of went, we didn't cover a lot of things that I prepared ahead of time to allow someone to, someone like you, to go through contracts that you have and gain the skill to read that legalese language, uh, to just sort of navigate a contract to the point that uh, it was less mystical. Um, I think that's one of the big things I'd plan. I don't know a lot of the stuff that I do for clients. Like I don't mention who I work for because that's a level of confidentiality that, you know, I haven't pre-cleared with clients yet. Stuff that I learn for them, I have to keep a lid on it rather than going straight to a blog because, um, you know, I don't want to write anything that would be against a client's interests or, you know, may negatively affect the thing that I'm supposed to, you know, my presence in their business is supposed to uh, positively affect. <laughs> um, so it, it'll, it'll be really me going through uh, maybe previous Metopia panels, board game geek forums, finding things that I think I can write and talk about and giving perspective. Um, once again, if you submit any questions or any advice on things you'd like to see put on a blog post, uh, there is this handy email, which is my social media presence at the moment, because uh, I need to figure out all the rules and ethics responsibilities for having a lawyerly, tw uh, I was about to say Twitch, Twitter account. Uh, it may be simpler than I'm making it out to be, but, um, you know, I I'm, I'm a lawyer. I read everything twice and I'm careful about that sort of stuff. Uh, it comes with the profession. Uh, still five minutes. Emery, you're very helpful. Uh, what is a common mistake designer make when they're approaching a lawyer? Oh, you remember that rant. Um, so this is less copyright. This is more dealing with lawyers, which itself could be a panel next year. Uh, I see a big problem of it's it's not I'm not going to throw this all on my clients. I'm going to own this. I'm going to own the mistake. I'm going to live with the mistake. I'm going to endeavor to do better. I don't remember how uh, that bit that James D'Amato used to do on campaign podcast uh, went. Uh, but um, managing expectations of both parties and clarifying questions are the things that I see sort of need to be needing to be approved on from the uh, designer client dynamic. Uh, know that your contract that you think, you know, is supposed to be two or three pages, like that can still take two or three hours for a lawyer to write 
if they don't have that exact form on hand or if you customize a few terms because a lot of research has to go into that. Um, like my, the standard length of my contracts for people in the game industry reach about eight to 12 pages, somewhere in that line and can take me between four to eight hours to do. If I, even if I have the wording on hand, because you have to go through and you're, you're going, okay, is this really, you know, is this the, this template still applicable? Looking at your client's emails and things that they've already had and going, okay, this is what the parties have already told each other they're going to do. I need to fit all of these email conversations into, you know, all this intention into the actual crystallized form of the document. Um, the advice being that you shouldn't think, you shouldn't second guess how long a lawyer is supposed to take on what they are doing because um, unlike artists, you, the if if something goes wrong with the contract, the lawyer is still responsible for it after the fact. There's sort of an implied warranty that the thing will work. And it isn't just a warranty for what you originally paid for that contract. It is uh, for the amount of the damages you would have received, the client would have received if the lawyer had done their job correctly. That's what malpractice uh covers and gets you uh that's you know that could be five to six figures or at least four to six fig four to six figures worth of damage i'll extend that range out um a little more a, when a lawyer creates something and gives something for their client to use there's a um there's a lot of weight that goes with that and so if you see your 10 pages of something that, oh, you could have scraped off the internet from some board game geek <laughs> thread. I can't say that with straight face, but the you get the idea of it. Um, you know, some people are surprised when that still takes them, um, you know, when that still costs somewhere south of $1,000. Um, that is something that you'll want to sort of set the expectations with for uh with the lawyer ahead of time and before they've done the work so you don't reach this point where you go oh this thing that you you know this this wonderful mystical mystical artifact that you created for me um this should have only taken you you know four hundred dollars to do uh that's only going to make the client sad about the experience of dealing with attorneys and more likely to tell other people oh don't trust the attorneys and it's going to make the attorney go i don't want to work with these people again <laughs> and that's bad for both people because law whether you like it or not is legally binding and it it surrounds us it combines us the parties and uh we all work within its framework. Um, so, so set, uh, make sure to set reasonable expectations with your lawyer and lawyers need to make sure they're setting reasonable expectations with their clients. Um, and I can't go into more details with that in this recorded medium because I, 
Oh boy, I know people know people in these in this type of convention. Uh, we're a very close family here at Metatopia. Wonderful place. Uh, not necessary for me to plug Metatopia. If you don't know what Metatopia is and you've somehow watched this panel, reach out once again to to this email. I have I'm intensely curious how you did that. Uh, and that's the end of the panel. Now I am receding into the background until the feed goes away.